Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Baseball is back as teams around the majors are preparing for the 2020 season in their respective summer camps. With that, we return with all new episodes of Executive Access, during which we'll chat with some of the decision makers around the game. Travis Williams got his start in the sports world as an attorney, working for a law firm that represented several sports franchises, including the Pirates. He went on to work for the NHL's Penguins for a decade, becoming the team's chief operating officer, while overseeing the development of the team's new arena in Pittsburgh. A stint with the New York Islanders followed, but Williams jumped to the baseball world last year, becoming the Pirates team president. I had a chance to sit down with Williams at the Pirates Spring Facility in Bradenton, Florida, before camps were shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed his move to the baseball world, how his experience in the NHL will help him with the Pirates, the experience of both a general manager and managerial search, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pirates team president, Travis Williams. Travis, you were born in Indiana. You went to high school in Indiana and Missouri. What was your favorite sport and your favorite team as a child? Uh, favorite sport for me was definitely baseball. Uh, first love, played it uh, from t-ball on all the way through high school. Uh, the one thing that was really interesting was uh, I grew up in uh, the eastern side of the state of Indiana, which if you were from that side of the state, you were a Reds fan. If you were from the north and west, you were a Cubs fan. So I, I was blessed in the 70s, uh, growing up in the 70s, of being a fan of the Big Red Machine and uh, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, uh, you know, all those guys uh, enjoyed watching them growing up with my dad and my, and my grandfather. And then in addition to that, uh, then moved to uh, St. Louis in middle school through my early high school years and uh, went there, in the, which was in the 80s, early 80s, and uh, uh, grew up there for a while and obviously became a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, growing up there. And those were great years watching Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and those guys. Uh, obviously had a great run at that point. And then I moved to Pennsylvania, actually my senior year in high school, uh, and, and obviously went to college then at Penn State and uh, law school and, in Pittsburgh. But uh, during the late 80s was the Bonilla Bonds era. So I had a great run of baseball in the first uh, 20 to 25 years of my life. Inter- that's interesting. Uh, that's a lot of different, different experiences with different clubs. Exactly. Uh, when high school, you played football, basketball, baseball, golf, tennis, obviously very athletic. You went to Penn State, uh, law school at Duquesne. Was a career in sports something you were considering at the time? Uh, no, I, I, I really didn't. Um, 
for me, I was, you know, obviously I loved sports. I had played a lot, um, but didn't really think that there was a, an opportunity to obviously play. I didn't, I had athletic ability, but not quite the athletic ability to get me to play in the, in the pros. Could have probably played uh, D3 football uh, or baseball, but chose to go to Penn State and, and really focus on academics and then uh, got, uh, uh, went on to Duquesne Law School and, and had a, a great time there in terms of finding out what I wanted to do. And for me, it was really focusing on corporate transactional law, uh, which is where I started my career. And so a lot of my practice early on uh, there was around, you know, corporate, you know, corporate law as opposed to, um, as opposed to sports. Although I did get an entree into sports uh, through that. So you worked at Reed Smith in Pittsburgh for yes. more than a decade. You were a partner there. You represented several sports franchises, including the Pirates, as well as some regional sports networks and other sports-related businesses. Uh, what was your initial experience working with within the realm of professional sports like? It, uh, it was interesting. Um, it was I'll give you the exact uh, give you the exact uh, situation which launched my career in sports. Uh, I had uh, done a summer uh, internship with uh, Reed Smith between my second and third year of law school, and kind of formulated my thoughts around doing corporate transactional law, mergers and acquisitions, commercial lending, those kind of transactional type of uh, aspects of, of practicing law. And when I came back, I was working in the corporate law department, and that was the time when Kevin McClatchy bought the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, was over the course of the prior summer. So the first full season that we represented the Pirates as outside counsel was when I came back as a first-year associate. And it was interesting because I got a phone call literally within the first two weeks that I was there from a senior partner who had represented Kevin on the transaction said, hey, we're now representing them on day-to-day -day, uh, day -day legal work. Uh, there's some sponsorship agreements. Nobody in the firm has really done anything around this, this space. Would you be interested in doing it? So for a kid like me growing up, uh, not only playing the game, but being a big fan of the game said, absolutely, uh, jumped into it. And that's really what launched my career. And oddly enough, an interesting story, the first sponsorship uh, deal that I did was with uh, a, a group, it was a health system at the time, which was the uh, precursor to Allegheny Health Network, which is one of our largest sponsors today. <laughs> That's funny. And who I have a great relationship with uh, from when I was with the Penguins and now with, uh, and now with the Pirates. The, uh, the Pir the, sorry, the Penguins hired you in 2008 as their Senior Vice President of Business Affairs and General Counsel. You had represented teams, so you had an idea of the business. What was the biggest change for you actually going to work for a club? Yeah, when I was at Reed Smith, I had the good fortune of doing a lot of different things uh, in sports. Uh, Pirates launched my career in doing day-to-day uh, -day legal work for them, sponsorship agreements, talent agreements. Uh, and I got into doing naming rights agreements and television rights agreements. So I worked for, you know, done stuff for Fox Sports uh, around the country in television rights agreements. I'd done some naming rights agreements. Uh, another unique little tidbit is I actually have done all the naming rights for all the facilities in Pittsburgh. Oh, really? Today. Yeah, I represented Heinz on Heinz Field. I represented the Pirates on PNC Park. I represented Mellon when it was Mellon Arena, and then represented the Penguins, obviously, in both Consol and PPG. So uh, a little unique thing, but I had done naming rights elsewhere. But that, that really allowed me to kind of launch my career more so in sports. And then the Penguins did come calling in 2008 because I had, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of, it wasn't the, only thing that I did at the law firm, but it was a very large part of my practice and had uh, gotten to know the Penguins through representing 
Fox Sports opposite them on the television rights agreement. So I got to know Mario and uh, uh, Lemieux, and I got to know Ken Sawyer, who was the CEO at the time. And so they came calling in 2008 because their general counsel had left. So I came in as a general counsel and uh, I then got the opportunity to jump in and do also work on the uh, arena project as well and oversaw that. So it was kind of a neat, neat little twist on just being a lawyer who comes in as a hired gun, if you will, and works on a specific transaction. Uh, for me, it was about the, the ability to come in and you know continue with the practice of law and add value in that way, but also start to understand the larger concept or construct of what the business of sports was like. That's interesting that you that you had represented the other side with Fox Sports, with Heinz, because that probably gave you a pretty good sort of viewpoint on what the other side was thinking. You know, when you're sitting across the table from somebody, if you've never been on that side of the table, you might not know exactly what their thought process was, but you had been on both sides. So you probably had a a pretty good, you know, sort of thought process on how the whole thing was going. A great, a great perspective, um, and uh, you know, it, it does give you a good perspective because when you're representing the naming partner as opposed to the team, you understand what their viewpoints and uh, specific to naming rights. Uh, you start to understand what the other side's important points are and how they look at things and the value that you know, ideally, the value that the team is bringing to the sponsor and um, what the sponsor is looking for out of the. Or out of the relationship. Your first season with the Penguins, they win the Stanley Cup. What was it like to be a, a part of that right away? Well, interesting. I, we we came. I came in in uh, May of two thousand eight, uh, which was uh, game. My first day of work was game one of the Stanley Cup Finals in 08 against the Red Wings, and we lost that series. So I came in that year, and then the next year we went through my full first full season. Uh, we went on to uh, rematch against the Red Wings, and we won that one. So for me, I, I got through that, and I said, you, you can't get rid of me. Um, you know, we go to the Stanley Cup Final the first time, and uh, we win the second time. But that was that was quite a ride, and, and uh, what an experience. Um, you know, it's a lot of special memories. Uh, my kids were my oldest uh, son at the time would have been, uh, he would have been um, 10 years old at that point. And so for him to go through that with us and, you know, go to the games and, and see that and the celebrations and the parade and everything that went with it, it was, uh, it was a special moment. He must have been a pretty popular fourth grader at that point. He, he, <laughs> he, 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 he was, he was. I, I'll, I'll, a funny story. Um, so uh, Detroit, we didn't get a chance to bring him to the final game, game seven up in Detroit, uh, but my wife and I flew up uh, with uh, the ownership group and some other, the management team, and we won. And of course, you know, everybody was excited, but once again, the Penguins won on, on uh, uh, didn't win on home ice, uh, which was, a, you know, we'd never won on home ice, still haven't won on, you know, Penguins still hadn't won on home ice. So it was really neat though, we got a chance, uh, we came back that night on private flight, uh, and Mario said party at his house and uh, afterwards, so all the players were going out there. So I go, go home, my wife says, I'm too tired to go. So I took her home, dropped her off, and my son was up waiting for me when I got home <laughs> to high five me, give me a hug. And I said, go get dressed. He says, what do you mean? It's like, this was like one in the morning. I said, go get dressed. This will be a special night for you. So he got dressed and I took him out to Mario's house and he got to celebrate with all the players and and for a 10-year-old kid, that's a pretty special moment. <laughs> for any kid, that would be pretty incredible. Uh, you're promoted to Chief Operating Officer, overseeing the day-to-day -day business and arena operations. During your tenure with the Penguins in that role, the team sold out over 550 home games, ranked among the top NHL teams in gate receipts, sponsorship revenues, 
TV ratings, social media statistics. Did that give you a sense of the passion that, that the Pittsburgh sports fans have for their teams? Yes. I, I mean... And obviously, you guys were doing well, which helps. But. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I tell everybody, and I learned this early on in my career, um, <clears throat> the on the field or on the surface, you know, on the ice, on the field, whatever you call it, that the product matters. And, uh, you know, that, that does matter. And ideally, in this business, though, you get to a point where you can hopefully uh, minimize the peaks and valleys of how the team performance is by building really good relationships with your fans and and really good relationships with your partners where you're providing value to them regardless of how the outcome is. Um, and so that's something that we all, I think, in, in, in my role, I think that's something we all aspire to. I had the good fortune. I mean, you, you threw out a lot of great statistics there. Uh, I had a good fortune of working with some really great people, though, within the Penguins organization who taught me a lot about branding and how important brand is, uh, taught me a lot about customer service and how important that is in the customer relationship how important the fan experience is in, in not only when you're in the arena in that situation or you know in the ballpark uh, and how important it is even when they're not there and then really the relationships with your sponsors and so uh, I, I had some great mentors in that business uh, and we had a lot of fun through those years just building that fan base and it was really a group a group effort it wasn't any one individual it was all of us that really came up with some great creative ideas uh, that we launched that were very successful and, and again the on ice product when you start with uh, as I say when you start with 87 and 71 in your lineup and then you add in 58 and at the time 29 uh, down the middle uh, on you know, that's that's pretty special uh, pretty special group of people that we got a chance to to watch day in and day out Pittsburgh Pittsburgh fans too what I've realized too is we're really spoiled in Pittsburgh um, when and, and not just in hockey. I mean, hockey in particular. But if you think of the lineage there of Lemieux to Yager to you know Crosby and Malkin, and the great, great offensive players that you've been able to watch. But if you think about too the icons in football, and even the icons in baseball that people have gotten to watch, it's that's really special. And I don't think sometimes I think Pittsburgh sports fans almost take it for granted. And I don't say that in a bad way. I just think they've been so spoiled by it that it's a it's an embarrassment of riches in some respects of what Pittsburgh sports fans and I think that's what's really a, a big part of why sports is so important to people is that they've got a chance to see some greatness and they and they expect greatness out of their teams. Um, the other thing too is I think Pittsburgh through the '70s really that you know when the Steelers started winning championships and the and the Pirates were winning championships. Uh, really formulated and they became part of the DNA of Pittsburgh. I mean, it was down and out. You know, it was a Rust Belt city who was trying to figure out what it was going to do next. And sports were that filled that gap for people, you know, who were out of jobs and it, they gave them something to look forward to. And I think that is also another reason why sports matter so much. And I, I always say this, I think if you, you know, obviously Boston, New York, those are great sports uh, sports towns. I was in Long Island for a while, and I obviously got to see how passionate they are about their Islanders. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, I'd put Pittsburgh up against most most cities in terms of how much sports matter and how much they care about winning. I always love the fact that all three teams in Pittsburgh have the same colors. That those colors sort of define the city. And you you always thought no matter what kind of rebranding they did or colors they did or or logos they did. The, the black and gold was going to be there for all three teams because that was Pittsburgh. Even the shade of gold, right? Because <laughs> we, you know, we went to this Vegas gold concept uh, when I was at the Penguins, 
And uh, we went back to uh, what we called the Pittsburgh Gold. Right. And uh, that was, you know, that was, it's interesting that you say that because it, I think it is a unifying nature of, uh, of, of how, again, it, th- that's what Pittsburgh's about, right? It's the city colors and uh, we're proud, you know, all those sports teams and knowing all of the people that uh, own and manage those, I know how proud they are to wear those colors and have their team wear those colors uh, uh, on behalf of the city. You also oversaw the development of the, the Penguins' new arena. What was the biggest challenge of that project, and what was it like to see it completed and uh, you know see this big shiny new arena in town? Yeah, I mean for us, uh, you know, I, I honestly can say that 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 project went about as smooth as you can go. It was on time and under budget. Uh, it doesn't happen very often in, in those types of projects. You're be mayor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that that was uh, and 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 I honestly can give a lot of credit to uh, the the people that worked on that. And I'm not talking about just the the senior executives, the contractors, um, uh, but all of the subcontractors and all the just the union employees. And again, I go back to the pride factor in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, you'd walk on that job site, and all the union workers were so prideful of the fact that they got to be a part in something so special and uh, they all you know they all wanted the penguin stickers on their helmets and uh, Mario we brought him out to the work site to thank them when we did the the last raise the last beam and and we did a cookout and, and served food for all of them and they they could they got Mario to sign their helmets and it was it was just that whole project though went that way and it was just a lot of good people around the project um, you know the challenge you know, the, the, the challenge for us, honestly, was was more about, um, you know, was just more about making sure that our brand, the, the, the Penguins brand was represented properly in there. And uh, that was the that was the thing that we constantly just wanted to make sure that, you know, what we stood for and and, um, you know, the, the the essence of our brand was built into the overall design. And that it was always a, and I wouldn't say a challenge. It was just a challenge we gave ourselves. And really important, and I don't think you necessarily see that in all the facilities. Is how do they represent their brand in there, and how does the customer experience represent their brand? After a decade with the Penguins, you mentioned before you went to Long Island up in New York to go work for the New York Islanders as their president of business operations. They're widely considered the third team in the New York area. Uh, you know, the Devils have won three or four cups, and the Rangers obviously have been the number one team. Uh, I grew up going to Islander games, so I'm well aware of the <laughs> reputation they've had through the years, um, you know, since their little mini dynasty back in the 80s. What was appealing to you about leaving a team that had won three Stanley Cups and had the success that the Penguins did to go work for a, a team like the Islanders? Yeah, you're not the first person to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had I've had several people say, what were you thinking? You went from a uh, Stanley Cup winning team uh, on a regular basis to one that was obviously trying to reinvent itself on the ice and... And the commitment of that ownership group to bring uh, Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz, I give them a ton of credit. They, they made, I think, the right moves there, and it's obviously paying dividends on the ice. And I think that was important to show the fan base in Long, you know, on Long Island and in New York in general that uh, they were committed to, to bringing a winner there, especially as they were getting ready to move into a new facility. Um, but for me, what was most appealing was uh, the, a couple things. Um, I think, number one, uh, I like challenges. Um, you know, when we went to the Penguins in 2000, you know, I went there in 2008, um, you know, the arena was in kind of, the deal was cut, but the arena hadn't been built yet. There was a lot of challenges there. Uh, you know, television rights deal was going to be coming up to be renegotiated, uh, development opportunity across the street and creating that. So there was a lot of things there that were very similar uh, to what 
uh, was going to be ahead of the Islanders um, at Belmont Arena site and and then so that was number one and uh, for me it was just you know the ability to kind of build a front office from scratch after taking over the business operations from the Barclays folks uh, who you know they as part of taking you know when I moved there we took all the business operations back doing ticketing marketing all of that so building that from scratch working on the arena project that challenge in general was was really appealing also appealing was the fact of all the talent that was around the table that I would get a chance to be exposed to and work with and you think of uh, the Oakview group and Tim Lewicki and Irving Azoff who are titans of that industry um, in, in both sports and entertainment uh, got a chance to work with uh, the folks from the Mets, the Wilpon family, because uh, they were the um, they were the owner's representative on the project for the new building, and so you know Jeff Wilpon and his team there, uh, great people, and uh, obviously doing some great things in the industry around building facilities or being a part of uh, construction of facilities. And then, last but certainly not least, uh, the ownership group in particular, the Islanders, uh, Scott Malkin and and John Ledecky and Dewey Shea, uh, all very talented individuals. So. To be able to come into an environment and uh, work with people like that and learn from them, because you're always learning in this business and different perspectives, and they all came from different industries and, and they all had different perspectives. Uh, it was great to be in that environment and, and then to give be given the mandate to go build a front office and to get get a project, uh, you know, shovel in the ground on the new project and be a part of a team that was able to do that. Uh, was a lot of fun and, and in that short time we did a lot I mean I, I was there for one year to the day uh, and in that period of time we you know built a front office from 30 people to 95 people uh, we uh, you know and uh, we went uh, doubled the fan base or the season ticket holder base in that short period of time uh, we were able to launch a new brand campaign uh, we uh, put shovel in the ground uh, lots of things uh, consolidated our office space into one headquarters uh, on Long Island, so a lot of things happened in a very short period of time, which was a lot of fun. That pace was was exciting and exhilarating. And most importantly, you didn't change the logo back into a fisherman. So we, we did not. We although did not. I will say, I went to a game in January, <laughs> and they were selling the hats with the fisherman logo on it, which I was sort of surprised about. I guess they're throwbacks at this point, but they're throwbacks, and it's interesting because you know, obviously, the history of that logo was not very popular at the time. <laughs> But it's, almost, it, but it's almost like the, uh, it, you know, some things, I just think the millennial generation, they kind of pick out things that uh, maybe are anti-establishment right. <laughs> and, uh, and decide to wear them. But right. was, My 15-year-old would probably like that exa- logo. Exactly, right. exactly. Uh, you mentioned Lou Lamarillo before. He's obviously been one of the most respected hockey executives out there. Um, what is it about Lou, and just in general, what is it about a front office executive in that role that you think, uh, you know, makes for a successful one? Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, I, I admire and respect Lou. Uh, and again, in that short period of time, he and I developed a, a very great, a very good relationship. Uh, he's a great, great individual as a person, uh, even better as a hockey executive. And I think really what drives his success uh, is, you know, his attention to detail. Um, you know, everybody always will talk about Lou and Lou's rules, right? And, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, that there's that aura about him, about, you know, no facial hair and uh, different rules on the road and things like that. But you know what, when, it, when you really get to know him and talk to him about it, it's really about that discipline and detail, right? Discipline to your sport. You're there for, you're there, you're there to win hockey games. And all Lou is really trying to do is move, remove the noise and get the noise out of the room so his players can focus on nothing but winning. And uh, 
And so I, I really admire the way he goes about it um, and his attention to detail. I mean, a guy who's been around a long time uh, and, you know, has had a lot of success, you would think that over the years maybe there would be less attention to detail just because not thinking it's necessary. And I think that's honestly why he is so, success, so successful is the fact that he has that attention to detail. And that's something we actually really took to heart and implemented as part of our overall plan on the business side is that, you know, that attention to detail is what's going to drive success uh, even on the business side. It's almost Belichickian. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's just it's it's institutional. You uh, all right? The hockey portion of our podcast is over. We'll talk some baseball now. Okay. You uh, you attended the 2013 NL Wild Card Game at PNC Park. As a longtime resident of Pittsburgh, what was it like to have playoff baseball back in the city for the first time in two decades? Yeah, obviously, I wasn't part of the organization, so I was a true fan at that point, and uh, it was a, it was just neat. It was a neat environment in the city. Um, I think there was, a, you know, it, it had been, playoff baseball had been missing for so long that I think, you know, people were so excited to have it back. Uh, I remember when I realized they were going to qualify for the wild card game, I called my wife and I said, uh, I, I said, I, I got the boys and I are going to go to the game. And, and she said, why is that so important to you? I said, you know, I, I, and this is about, this is sacrilegious for me to say at the time because I was, you know, with the Penguins, but... I, I said to her, there's nothing like playoff baseball. And, and I truly believe that. I think because you, you know, you go through a regular season where you enjoy the games, you enjoy the atmosphere, and there's a lot of games, so maybe game to game isn't as important, or pitch to pitch is certainly not as important. But when you get into playoff baseball, it's like you're on the edge of your seat after every pitch, because every pitch matters, right? And so uh, to be able to go to those games and see what it meant for the city of Pittsburgh and how important it was. Um, I even remember the you know the Penguins organization how much they got in we got into it uh, and especially our players I don't know if you ever remember the video but there was uh, went pretty viral but our guys actually played uh, baseball on the ice for practice they they uh, painted lines on it and made a baseball field and they sent a good uh, a, a, a good luck video over to the team and uh, then they all were wearing their uh, their Pirates jerseys that day so it was pretty cool. Uh, just to see kind of what that environment was like. But the, the game in 2013, the Cueto moment uh, when he dropped the ball and then Bird and uh, Martin hit their home runs afterwards, uh, had my boys with me, uh, no more special moment than that. Uh, and I, I will rank it up there. And this is a guy who was involved in three Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh and and uh, had the good opportunity to be in parades and see what, the, what that meant for the city. But uh, the hysteria around that moment and uh, the chills that everybody had, in this, including myself, uh, you know, I think that just shows you how special baseball can be to Pittsburgh. So last October, after your year with the Islanders, you joined the Pirates as the team president. Uh, I'm sure a lot of that was Pittsburgh and going back home. In terms of the job itself, what was the biggest draw for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I wasn't obviously just gotten up to New York. My family had just moved up there literally in August because they stayed back for the school year. So for us, uh, you know, we were committed, uh, pot committed to, to the Islanders and uh, seeing the arena, you know, being finalized, moving into it and all the great things that come along with that. And uh, I got a phone call from uh, in early October from Bob Nutting. Bob and I had known each other for years um, uh, I actually knew his father Ogden very well as well uh, uh, too um, from back when I represented and was outside council of the Pirates I attended several board meetings and uh, his dad Ogden at the time sat on the board as a limited partner and then when when they became majority owners I got to know Bob as well 
and uh, always had a, a respect for, for Bob and for his family and what they stood for. Uh, just I think we had a lot of the same kind of core values. Uh, and so uh, he and I had always, uh, you know, just stayed in touch, uh, just, you know, getting to know their his family and, and just staying in touch in terms of what they were doing or what the team was doing and had a great relationship. So when he called and, and uh, talked to me uh, about, you know, what was going on uh, in, in Pittsburgh and what he was looking, you know, what he was looking for and his expectations, uh, it was a really great opportunity for me to, you know, kind of, it was, it was funny, I'll tell you, maybe start a little bit differently with the answer, but, um, you know, what he was, when he called me, he was originally calling me to ask me my thoughts on the team. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting comments I made to him is, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to be kind? <laughs> and, and I said, you know, here's my thoughts. And I, I ran through and told him, I said, here's what I think the team needs to be doing. And, uh, and I think this is going to be, you know, the way that we, you know, you can forge a path. And so he said, why don't you come here and help me out? And uh, it was a complete surprise to me, but a welcome one. Uh, certainly flattered and honored that uh, he would think, uh, think of me in that, in that role, in that, in that uh, position. And uh, in the, you know, with the skills that I bring to the table to be able to, to turn it around. So, it, you know, the only thing I had, the only question I really had in that conversation for him is, are you committed to winning? And that was a real uh, focal point for me was around, you know, is, is there a commitment to win there? Uh, because if there's not, then, you know, we all, I think, you know, we all come with different expectations to every job. But at the end of the day, we all want to win. And uh, Bob's answer was very clearly yes. Um, you know, our conversation, you know, gave me all the comfort that I needed. Uh, certainly wasn't going to move back to Pittsburgh, uh, you know, after having a great success in, Pitts in Pittsburgh with the Penguins, uh, in a great position with the Islanders. Uh, I needed to know that. And so it was clear to me, and, and uh, we had a very short conversation about all the other stuff, and we worked it out, and, and uh, I couldn't wait to get back to Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh, at the end of the day, is really, you know, my city, my team. Um, you know, Pirates are my team, and and uh, you know, baseball is my love, and so the opportunity to come back and be a part of something special here, which I believe we're at the start of something special in terms of turning it around. Having worked in hockey as long as you did, was there any hesitation about trying to shift everything you had learned there into a new sport, or from the business side? If you know how to market a team, you know how to you know if you know how to run a team or market a team or business operations, that can translate. It's not as as much as trying to be like a baseball operations executive moving to another team, which is rare, or certainly much rarer. Yeah, I think, I mean, f moving back into the, to the Pittsburgh market, um, yes, there was a transition from hockey to, to baseball. And I think from that perspective, uh, I didn't have as much concern about that um, because I knew at the end of the day, I, I just need to find the right person who was going to be able to run the day-to-day -day business oper or baseball operations, right? And so that was a, a really important aspect of just knowing that, you know, I was going to be able to rely on somebody to do that. Um, and and looking at the model that I came from, which was the Penguins, David Morehouse did that very effectively uh, where he oversaw both sides. But, you know, David was not a hockey guy. And so he, but he managed very well of, of bringing in good hockey minds, early Ray Shiro and then ultimately Jim Rutherford uh, when we made the transition but uh, I always, always kind of observed and observed and watched David in terms of how he um, managed that side. Not necessarily inserting himself to say, I know hockey and I, I can tell you how to run this, but more in terms of um, you know, pulling out of Jim Rutherford or Ray Shiro 
by asking the right questions, pulling out of them, uh, you know, what their vision is, what their uh, what what their uh, focus was in terms of building championship teams. I would also think, from your perspective, if you had been going to become president of a baseball team in a city you weren't all that familiar with, that might have been harder. But the fact that you were going back to Pittsburgh, where you don't have to acquaint yourself with the fan base, you know what what Pittsburgh and its fans are all about. That probably helped the idea of it's a new sport, but I know well, this place, and that's exactly right. So you know, wanted to get the baseball side right, and I think then I knew you know the business side. I know you know I, I know intimately, and I know the marketplace intimately. So yes, knowing uh, you know sponsors, knowing the the fan base. And knowing what their expectations are, too. Um, I think that's important, too. And, and just how they perceive sports and how important it is, going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in terms of their passion for it. Um, you know, Knowing those expectations coming in uh, are good. But, but like anything, you're also learning. Um, there's still, you know, there's nuances to the sport, of, you know, the business side of baseball uh, that are different than the business side of hockey uh, that, you know, we're, you know, continuing to get my arms around as we, as we move forward. But we've got really good people in place already. For me, it's more about how do I, you know, again, get people in the right places, much the same as getting somebody in the, you know, like Ben Charrington in the GM role, make sure we have all the right pieces in place on the business side as well, uh, getting them aligned and building on the good stuff that we're already doing. The NHL is a salary cap league, obviously. Major League Baseball is not. How much of a different animal is that from a top of the front office perspective? Uh, that's that's a big difference, obviously. Uh, you know, it's, I think, um, you know, it's, no, I'm not not uh, not telling any secrets when I say that that you know the the parity in the NHL as a result of the of the salary cap uh, is much much better than the parity that you would see in baseball without a salary cap. So a different, much different, uh, much different environment in which to work. Uh, having said that, um, there are teams within uh, teams in markets like Pittsburgh uh, that are working within the economics of baseball as they are and are being successful. You know, and you can look at the A's, you can look at the Rays, the Twins, and others, and, uh, and the Brewers, and, and you can look at those and say, there's a way to do this. Um, and it may not be as easy as just throwing money at it, um, which, you know, some teams are able to do, and, uh, but they, and, and therefore mistakes are, are not as, you know, mistakes can't be make, can be made in those environments. Mistakes can't be made. Uh, when you look at those, so you you've got to make the right bets, and so for us, it's really focusing on how are those teams doing it. Uh, as I said uh, in some of my early interviews when I first came on board, really need to find a way to crack the code and see what they're doing, and and I really think that with bringing on Ben Sherrington and the vision that he has and his skill sets that he brings to the table, that's allowed us to be able to get start that process of cracking the code and really setting a direction that's going to get us into that same stratosphere of those teams that are able to do it within the economics of baseball. We don't want to make that ex an excuse. Uh, we know there's a, we know that the, in an a non-salary cap environment, it's going to be different. Um, but that's certainly not an excuse. Uh, we, we believe we can win a championship in Pittsburgh. We just have to go about it differently than maybe some other teams. When you first came aboard, Bob Nutting said you'd be part of what he called a quote, a re refresh of the entire operation. Aside from trying to crack that code, what in your mind was the first step that needed to be accomplished to start that refresh? Yeah, I mean the refresh in general is obviously on the baseball side. On the baseball side, we hit the complete refresh button, and I think for that, for that is really just setting that course that I talked about 
and cracking the code. And I think also culturally uh, within the clubhouse, uh, you know, we had a few issues last year uh, coming out of last year relative in the clubhouse that we just needed to address. And I think bringing Derek Shelton on was an important uh, piece of that as well. So not only making sure that Ben, from a GM perspective, that we're doing the right things in terms of identifying, acquiring, developing, and, and deploying talent, um, but also making sure that that clubhouse culture was was reversed from where it was before. And we've done a really good job, uh, I think, thus far in doing that. Uh, you know, We had a team dinner the other night with the coaches and, and with the uh, GM staff, and uh, you know, we went around the room kind of talking about why we were all there. And uh, what I found interesting was twofold. One is, um, you know, no matter uh, whether the co- those members of the coaching staff that had been there before uh, or whether they were new, you couldn't tell the difference. That's how, how well they had already uh, come together. It was as though they had been together for 10 years. Right. Really cohesive group already. And, and I think the other part is observing uh, the output of all of what they've been doing thus far in spring training and seeing the player reaction to it. And I had a conversation with one of the players the other day, and and uh, one of the first things he said is, "I feel like I'm back in high school again, playing baseball. It's I'm having a ton of fun, but I'm learning every day." And uh, I, you know, I, that that's enthusiastic to me, as I'm observing observing kind of that refresh on the baseball side. On the business side, really just jumping in and getting my arms around kind of what's what's been happening to date, and what are the things that we can immediately turn around and change. Um, you know, there's low-hanging fruit that we can, you know, just things we can do better and get better at. And then setting the long-term vision on the business side as well as to what do we aspire to be. And for me, a lot of that is just the focus on the fan experience and, and, the, and the corporate relationships. Those are the two things that I think are most important to the success of a business side of any sports team is how are you engaging with your fans, making sure that they have an optimal experience, uh, when they're at the ballpark or when they're engaging with you outside the ballpark, whether that be through social media, uh, whether that be through digital media, through your television broadcast or your radio broadcast, all of those things are engagements with your fan. And you just need to make sure that, again, going back to the Lou Lamorello principle of being uh, paying attention to detail and really making sure that they you understand that they're there for an experience with you. And, uh, you know, sometimes you only get one shot at that. Some people only come one time a year. Season ticket holders come, you know, let's say, you know, 75% of the time to games or 50% of the time. You get multiple opportunities, but you also need to make sure that every time they're there, they're having the same quality experience. So for us, it's a lot about that. And, and that, that is in, you know, can translate into many different things. It, it translates, and this is really, we're diving deep into all aspects of this, but it's from this time that they pick up the phone and call their sales rep uh, or they get online in order to buy a ticket. It's from the point in time when they leave their driveway on their drive-in to the point in time where they're parking and making sure that the parking lot attendant treats them with uh, the utmost respect. It's from the moment they walk in the door and do they have to wait a long time in the line uh, or do they get frustrated with that to the food options that they have and the lines and the food options to the merchandise options they have and how much time they have to spend there to the entertainment that we bring into the ballpark. All of those things are things that we are uh, leaving no stone unturned and making sure we take deep dives into all of them and and just getting better every day at at each of those aspects of the overall fan experience. One of your first duties after coming aboard was conducting a search for a general manager. Uh, You reportedly had a list of 50 candidates, whittled it down to 12, uh, ultimately hired Ben Charrington. 
as somebody who hadn't worked in baseball, what was that process like for you and what ultimately made Ben the right guy for the job? Um, you know, the process was, was interesting. Um, you know, I had gone through this process in hockey uh, when we were searching for a replacement for Ray Shiro. And so David and I uh, worked together, obviously, very closely with uh, Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle in that process. But we, we, David and I kind of ran that process on behalf of the team. And uh, so for me, I, I kind of had a sense of what, how to go through it. And the key part of that is you really start from the beginning of what are the characteristics you're looking for before you even go out and do the search. Uh, and so you know, Bob and I spent a lot of time as to what we were really looking for. And for, for us, uh, at, you know, it was somebody that um, you know, understood what I would call the new era of baseball in terms of what it takes to win in a market like Pittsburgh and you know, who's really good at that identification, acquisition, development, deployment of talent. And we had the good fortune of going through and, and meeting a lot of different candidates there. Um, and we talked to, you know, a lot of candidates uh, in, in both in person and by phone. And for me, I also got the opportunity to go out and talk to GMs and other front office personnel from a lot of different organizations, even to get that list assembled. Uh, we worked with a headhunter, um, uh, but in a, you know, at uh, Corn Ferry, uh, but you know, that as we went through that process, it was almost like baseball 101, 201 for me. Uh, and really to get my arms around kind of, you know, the modern, what I'll say, the modern era of baseball and, and how that all plays together and, and how, the, how that, how the people that you're looking at, what their, what their touch points are with the modern era of baseball and how they really been a part of, and they really been a part of uh, the actual process of learning how that ba how baseball is changing today, or were they just in an organization, not necessarily a part of that change? And what we what I really what I really admired most about Ben is, you know, he did come from, obviously from a big market team where he was a former GM, um, and you know that that was you know a lot of people would say, well, is that going to translate well in Pittsburgh? But I think where Ben was really successful in Boston were in the areas that were going to be really important to Pittsburgh. I mean, he it was the cultivating a talent within the system, much more than just what he did in the free agency market. And so I think that that was really important to us as we factored that in. And we looked at you know we we looked at uh, other you know GMs from other organizations that have been successful in small markets. I think bringing Derek on, having gone been in the Rays organization and the Twins organization, is an additive value to that, and bringing a lot of what those not only the culture of those organizations, but a lot of the, the techniques and the, and the innovation that they are using in order to develop players in particular, especially at the major league level, which I think was one area that we needed to focus on and improve. Uh, I think the, what he brought to the table from that perspective was additive to what Ben already had. So that was a really interesting process going through both the GM and the coaching search, learning a lot about baseball uh, in a very short period of time and talking to executives around the league, which I think you, know, you can always learn day in and day out from talking to a, great, a lot of great baseball minds. Um, but when it really came down to it, not only was it that, that skill set that I talked about that I think Ben was good, but I'll circle back to one thing. For me, having not been in baseball, but knowing that our goal is to win a championship, uh, Ben has been in that seat before. He's been a GM. So when it, he, that was really the tipping point at the end of the day was he had been in baseball. He was a GM before. He had been a part of winning, uh, winning organization. And I think the combination of him being in a winning organization in baseball, me being in a winning organization in sports, and knowing what it takes on the, on the business side, 
the two the two of us really together I think was was a great combination. And I think that's really also what what uh, tipped it for Bob as well. You talked before about the fan experience being such an important aspect of what you do. You spent a lot of the spring talking to fans at at the ballpark and attempt to get their feedback. Uh, how important is it to interact with fans and get that get that feedback and hear it straight from them? I, I think I mean the the first part of being good at the customer experience is listening to the customer. And um, I think, you know, for me, that's just really sitting down in multiple different environments and listening to them. So, I, you know, I did a lot of walking around the spring training facility at Pirate City and here at LECOM just talking to fans and really understanding from, from uh, their perspective, you know, what, what is it that we're not doing that they would love to see? Obviously, you hear a lot of, we want a winner on the field, and we understand that, and, and we're certainly working on that. But also just listening to their about their experience. You know what what is what's going well for them. You know or they have a great experience with one of our sales reps. I like to hear that so that we can make sure that that sales rep understands what they're doing is important and they need to continue that. Uh, maybe they don't like the food options and they would like to see more of a certain type of food. It's any number of things that we you know that again going back to what I said earlier about all the touch points along the way that are important in terms of that overall journey for the fan. You know, making sure that uh, people are happy and really listening to hear what they have to say about that. Um, and, and I did that a lot in Pittsburgh as well. You know, we had, um, unfortunately, I had back surgery, so I did not get to Pirates Fest and was not able to uh, attend. But I was listening through all my, all of our uh, staff and, and calling them regularly to ask how it was going. But just hearing back from there and several season ticket member events or um, sponsor events that I've gone to already in, in the city, uh, and just really listening to what all they have to say about what we're doing right and listening to them quite honestly when about things we're not doing right, that we're doing wrong and where we can get better. And I think taking that in and really formulating a plan around how we can improve. Team presidents in baseball, their roles tend to vary from one team to another in terms of how involved they are on the baseball side of things. How involved do you plan to be on the baseball side of the business? Um, you know, I think, uh, again, Part of the attraction of Ben was the fact that uh, you know he'd been in, he'd been in a GM role before, uh, he built a champion there, um, and I think it was also gave me the comfort knowing that I have to focus a lot on the business side uh, in order to make sure that we really improve and get to the level that I'd like to see us be. Um, that I had been the comfort of knowing that Ben had been in that chair before and didn't require me to spend a lot of time on the on the baseball side. I I oversee both baseball and business. Um, and uh, Ben and I have a great working relationship, and I have a lot of trust and comfort in his vision and approach to where he's headed with uh, with the baseball side. Um, but I don't, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna see me out there uh, uh, talking about spin rates and uh, exit velocities, <laughs> um, or you know, making comments about uh, swing planes or other things uh, about hitters or pitchers. Uh, that obviously we have great baseball minds in the organization who are going to be able to do that on a day to day basis. Now. I will say that I think one of the unique things in, in the model that I really went after was the model in Pittsburgh, uh, again, where David Morehouse had a you know unique relationship of overseeing both sides as well and had a great relationship with the, with the GMs, both Ray and, and, uh, and Jim. And in those, I think what you found was the unique relationship where the GM coming back to the president and really using them as a sounding board for making decisions. And it's in in some respects refreshing, and I think Ben Ben would echo this uh, if you were here. 
Um, I think it's refreshing for them to actually bounce something back off of somebody who is not necessarily in the room or is not necessarily a baseball guy um, because it gives them a, a fresh and unique perspective. And I think a lot of the conversations Ben and I have had is, how did you do this in hockey? Can we get better at this by thinking of it maybe a different way that you've done it? And um, and so and I've you know and I've also found that I you know I can bring that fresh perspective into the room sometimes when necessary, or on a conversation, you know that is just not necessarily related to uh, that's a baseball a baseball uh, topic, but um, how would you approach this just from a negotiating perspective? Um, so I think a lot of the business business skills that I bring to the table not only provide a sounding board for Ben, but I think also provide a different perspective of how to think and look and look at things. It's a lot easier when you have Sidney Crosby and Malkin and, and you're having success. Yeah. You talked before about, you know, the winning product on the field is the best sales pitch you have. Um, you also talked about hitting the refresh button on the baseball side right now. So yeah. you're in that, I know people don't like to use the word rebuild, so yeah. we'll stick with refresh. Um, how challenging is it to try to get more people to the ballpark, try to get people watching the telecast more when you know that you're not necessarily going to be a first place team or at least have, you know, you're going into the season and you're not being thought of as a team that's going to win the division or challenge for, for a championship. Well, I certainly hope our team surprises everybody and uh, we can challenge for that. But, yes. but having said that, I think we all know, we're, you know, we all kind of know what, what we are today. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the way we look at ourselves is we have a very young, uh, exciting core group of players uh, that we can build around and they will be part of a championship team in our future. And so uh, we're excited about that aspect. And so I think, you know, for me, it's about getting our fan base really to understand and see that uh, about the fact that they are going to be a part of something that's going to be a future championship team and coming on that journey with us. And so that's, that's one aspect in particular that we're really focused on. The second one is making sure, again, that ballpark experience and that fan engagement outside the ballpark is pristine. And uh, really making sure that we listen to them, we uh, understand what their needs and desires are, and that we're being able to provide that uh, to them on a, on a game-by-game basis, day in and out, day in and day out basis. Uh, we're also really focused a lot on families. I mean, I think baseball is unique in the sense that it brings together generations of families. I talked about going to Cincinnati with my father and grandfather. I talked about bringing my kids uh, back in 2013. And I think bringing those generations of fans together is unique to baseball because people are looking for that day out at the ballpark with their, with their mom or dad or you know, brother, sister, whoever it may be. Uh, they want to be with their family and they want to come and enjoy a great afternoon. And that's partly about what's going on in the field and that's partly about the overall experience. And so for me, it's figuring out ways to make that uh, accessible. And so we just launched a program actually uh, a couple couple days ago where um, for the months of April and May, if an adult buys a $20 ticket, kids get in free uh, with them. And so we're really trying to figure out ways in which we can bring families back together at the ballpark around baseball. You mentioned you guys have a lot of young players you're excited about, great upside. They're not necessarily household names yet, even in Pittsburgh. I'm not even just talking about nationally. How important is it to market those players locally and get get it to the point where they do become household names within your city? Um, you know, I, I think I think what's important is it's less about making sure that they're, the individual player is a household name, especially for us right now. I like to think of it more of 
of marketing them as a group of young players that are exciting and fun to watch. They're going to try their damnedest to win every day. Now, whether they do or not, put a W in the win column, may not happen. But at least Pittsburghers know they're trying really hard. And they're also working to get better every day so that they can be part of that championship team. And that I think that's something, again, going back to the Pittsburgh sports landscape, people in Pittsburgh respect hard work. You know, it is at its core a blue-collar town. And so they admire and respect that, bl- that blue-collar, blue-collar mentality of baseball in terms of how they, the players are approaching it and getting better. Um, and I think – but in this business, I think, you know, the, the important aspect on the business side is really – making sure that we translate what's happening on the field and that and with that dynamic of getting better and showing the personality of the players. And, and that's through social media in particular. And that's something we're really focused on in terms of bringing that video production quality to a level where you can start to really get a feel for what is the personality of the team and then what is the personality of the individual players. And I think over time, performance on the field and that display and that inner you know that engagement with the fan by showing them those types of things allows you to get get them to be household names if you will baseball is a game that's played every day for the most part occasional off to here and there so people get very easily caught up in what happened in last night's game whether whether we're talking about fans the twitterverse front office people players it's a very emotional sort of roller coaster day to day how important is it for you to always sort of be able to step back and view what's going on in the organization from sort of that 30,000 foot view. I think you have to, because if you don't, I think you, you, and I found this even at the Penguins, like, you, you know, you go on a losing streak of, you know, four or five games and you think the, the sky is falling. Right. And, and uh, you, you know, play a little chicken little. And it's really important to step back and, and keep, keep the context. Because if you don't, I think you fall into, um, you dive into the rabbit hole of the specific topic, which, you know, can can be truly a rabbit hole sometimes, uh, and and so you want to make sure, especially if you're managing it from a brand perspective, making sure that fans continually remember that um, you know you're progressing and getting better, that you're always striving to win a, you know a championship, and showing that aspect as opposed to diving into you know a run of three games where you know maybe we had a we just had a tough go of it, and that's going to happen in sports. I mean, even the best players have have uh, have slumps. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, Sidney Crosby and Malkin going through a few of their own. Um, but I think the team always rose above it. And I think an organization rose above it. And you can't really focus necessarily on those individual issues or aspects. You're always focusing on the bigger picture in terms of what you're trying to do as an organization and reminding people of that. And again, I, I go back to baseball. It's even more important from our perspective of that experience can hopefully override you know, maybe a not so great experience of or not so great outcome on the field. You were part of three parades with the Penguins, have three rings, got to hoist the Stanley Cup a few times. The Steelers have won two Super Bowls in the past 15 years. The Pirates haven't won a World Series since 1979. What would it mean to you to be able to help be a part of bringing that Commissioner's Trophy back to Pittsburgh? It would be it would be truly special. I mean, uh, I think um, Pittsburghers want. They, they, they demand championships from their teams. And uh, I know that uh, it's been long overdue in baseball, um, you know, especially when you're stacked up against the Steelers and the Penguins. Right. Uh, and and that's, that's great company to be in. Um, I, I, I tell Bob that all the time. I said, we're, you know, we're in great company in Pittsburgh in terms of you know, we have two franchises that 
have been able to do it on a continuous basis and, and have done it more recently. Um, but you know, I do believe that there is a commitment from ownership to get there. Uh, I firmly and strongly believe that uh, with myself and the team that we put in place with Ben and Derek and with what we're assembling on the business side, that we will, we will be able to bring back a championship to Pittsburgh and we will be able to play meaningful games again late in the year. And that, I think that's what Pittsburgh wants to see. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, I'm not uh, naive enough. And I know that, uh, you know, quite honestly, uh, we won three Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh, and I don't think anybody that was a part of those three Stanley Cup championship teams would lie to you that puck luck matters. And I think in baseball, um, you know, it, the, the bounce of the ball matters, if you will. And uh, I think, you know, the, we'll, uh, we'll have to overcome some of that as well. And, uh, you know, God willing, we're, we'll be able to bring one back to Pittsburgh. But I think at the end of the day, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh demands that. I think they want it. I think the baseball the baseball fans in Pittsburgh are waiting for it, and uh, they'll come out in droves to support us. So for me, it would be a really special moment if we could take that that Coito moment, and uh, it, that I was able to be a part of as a fan. If we can take that and replicate that uh, 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 further into the off season, I think that would be a really special opportunity. And to be able to do you know have a parade in Pittsburgh that's uh, for the baseball team would be great. Um, we got a lot of work ahead of us, but uh, we're up to the challenge, and we're, we're, we're excited. And as always, there'd be a lot of black and gold there. There would absolutely <laughs> be a lot of black and gold, exactly. Travis, I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to Travis Williams for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. In our next episode, I'll be joined by Philly's Assistant General Manager, Ned Rice. We'll discuss his start with the Orioles, what he's learned working for Andy McPhail, what it's like to pursue a top free agent such as Bryce Harper, and much more. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinstein. Stay safe, everybody.